This is Steve Balton, and you are tuned into My Turning Point, where this week we are joined by Nora Jones. Such an honor to talk with the Grammy winning singer songwriter about her brilliant new album and about her start in New York City. This is a really fun conversation. Hope you enjoy it as much as we did. There are a lot of turning point moments in your life, there's never just one, but I am curious if there's one that comes to mind that sort of jumps out at you a bit. Ooh, um, gosh, I don't know. I, I, like I said, and it's funny, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer. Some people go very personal. No, I, I get it. It's just, I'm just trying to think of what, what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I guess moving into New York, um, you know, I, I went to high school. I went to this amazing arts high school. I learned so much. Everybody there was really into jazz. I was really into jazz. I loved it. I went to college. I was a jazz piano major. Everybody was kind of a jazz snob. And I moved to New York, and I started going to the living room and realizing that there were all these other communities of music, and there wasn't just one way to do it. And um, that people actually wrote their own songs. And that was kind of the turning point for me. That's when I started playing crappy guitar and writing songs um, in my bedroom in New York City on a guitar. I only knew like three chords, but that's enough to write a great song. And um, I wrote Come Away With Me that summer, and I realized that it was kind of a country song. <laughs> and it wasn't <laughs> anything like the music I had studied for the last five, six years and thought I was coming to New York to play. And it sort of started me on a new path of just sort of being a little more open and trying to write, trying to do original material. See, what's so interesting about that, it's funny that you say listening to Come Away With Me, you feel like it was a country song. Because again, as I said, tying into all of this stuff, you know, into the new album, there are definite country moments on this record. I mean, it's, it's. You know, it's a record that has a lot of styles. It's funny. I think I suck with titles because I listen to everything all the way through. And in fact, in 24 hours, I've listened to this all the way through twice. But track three, for example, I love that 70s. It was track three and track seven. And hold on, let me call this up so I can find the titles. But both of those I really love. I felt like those had the very cool 70s vibe to it. But then there were other tracks that definitely feel country. It's interesting. When you look back at sort of that three chords and, and you know, writing, talk about how that's tied in to how you find that thread running through your sort of, um, you know, career, catalog, whatever you want to call it. And it's funny because I talk about this with so many artists too. I really feel like oftentimes I've talked to some great songwriters and they talk about the fact you can find these sort of recurring themes that come about through your work over the years. And that applies to both musically as well as lyrically. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Texas. I mean, I grew up in Texas, so I remember in college I had a friend who was a drummer and I played him some of the demos I had made of these jazz standards I mean they're songs that are old they're songs that Billie Holiday sang many many people have sung these songs it's not like 
I was reinventing the wheel, but he's, I remember him saying to me, wow, you really have a country twang to the way you sing. And that was so funny to me. I never, I mean, I was still in Texas. So when you, when you live in Texas, you kind of forget that you have whatever it is that makes you where you're from until you leave that place. Right. Right. And he wasn't from Texas. You know, he came there to study jazz, but he wasn't from Texas. So to him, he could hear it. And I remember thinking that was so funny. And I think that's been throughout, you know, anything I do. I, I think I still have a little bit of that. But, um, yeah, you know, you pick up what you pick up and you kind of, it comes out here and there along the way. Well, what's interesting about that, though, as well, is that, you know, it's funny because what you were saying about the fact that, you know, when you're in Texas, you don't hear the twang. And I think that's one of the really, you know, interesting things is, look, when you're making a record, for example, as I talk about with people all the time, you have no perspective on what it's about. You have no, you know, because you're in the midst of it. It's this whirlwind. You're sort of caught up in it. And, and I believe that so much of great writing is subconscious, you know, and it comes out there and then it's like, it takes a little while to figure it out. Like my friend Brandon Boyd from Incubus said to me, and I thought this was so interesting, that it takes him two years to figure out what an Incubus album is about. And I totally understood what he meant with that. So it's interesting for you, when you go back and listen to Pick Me Up Off the Floor, are there things that emerged that surprised you or things that came out that you're like, I didn't even know I was thinking that or things or recurring themes that you now hear in there that when you were recording it, you're like, I didn't know that this was sort of the direction it was going. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, that's with all songwriting. I think I, I remember I did one session, um, a long time ago. I think it was the first session I did that some of these songs are from and I really loved it. I really loved all the songs. I was inspired, you know. And um, my husband was on tour, and he came home after I'd done the session. I said, check out this, these songs from what I did. And he listened to them. And he goes, oh, my God, these are so sad. <laughs> I said, no. <laughs> and he just gave me a hug, and I, I didn't even realize they were sad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I just was so excited about the music. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, though, because I noticed in the bio where you were saying how, you know, that if there's this sort of theme of sadness, you know, it, it's also like there was, how did you word it about? Basically, there's also being a feeling of hope. And it's such an interesting thing, too, because, look, let's be real about it. You know, you're making this record, you're writing it over a period of time, and then it's amazing how often things will turn out to be prescient, prophetic, whatever you want to call them. And here you have this record that's now coming out in probably the biggest time of doom, that, that we have felt. And it's interesting, you know, songs change on, to me on a couple of levels. One, when you play them live and fans can hear them and they pick up new things in them. But also, look, they're living, breathing things. So they change in context. So, you know, like a great song, like a John Lennon in my life, which to me is a perfect song. You hear that and you bring your own experiences to it, though he was writing about his own. So it's interesting for you, have these songs morphed a little bit or changed a little bit, or do you hear them in a different way, sort of reflecting the fact that we're, you know, living in the end of the world? Yeah, I mean, they definitely feel more relevant to what we're all going through now. Um, and I agree with you. I think songs change, the meanings change. Even if you wrote the song, about something and you know what you wrote it about 20 years later you could feel something different about it you can feel something new and I love how people relate all music to their own experiences to their own life and that's why it's important I think to 
not explain what every lyric is about when you wrote it, you know, because it prevents people from being able to have that connection with it. Well, it's interesting what you say about the 20 years. And look, I talk about this with artists all the time. And I remember talking about it with, you know, like, for example, Jackson Brown is one of my favorite songwriters of all time. And we talked about, you know, a song like These Days. And it's like, it's so interesting, you know, because he wrote that song, of course, when he was 16, you know. I mean, it's really interesting for you. Are there songs of yours that you go back and hear now with new experience? Because the other thing, too, is you're a whole different person than you wrote when we wrote come away with, uh, you know, with me, I mean, you are, you just have gone through a whole life. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's half my life ago. I was 20 when I wrote that song. Um, but I still love it. I still love to sing it. I mean, partly because the audience is always gets happy, but, but I, even, I don't know, I still relate to it, you know, and I probably wouldn't sing it if I didn't, but I definitely relate to it. In a different way, it's such an innocent sentiment, you know? <laughs> it's hard for me to write a song that innocent now. Um, so I love how sort of hopeful and innocent it is. You know, I feel like everything I write now, even if it has some hope in it, there's like a whole underlying <laughs> dramatic backstory. Whereas <laughs> like a song like that is just like a pure, very, it's very pure, I find. Well, so now it's. I think there, I think that's a heavy thing too. You know, I think that's a beautiful thing, and that's kind of hard to get at where I am now. But it's funny that you say that. I mean, do you feel like then there are moments that you tap into it or ways that, again, and taking it into you know pick up off the floor? Are there moments that that surprise you in the sense of, you know, when you like it's funny you say when you tap into those moments of hope they're still with this incredible backstory. But I think it's interesting, and I think as everyone gets older. You know, it's funny, it comes in waves and I think you go through a period of idealism and then you go through a period of cynicism and then you kind of, as you get older, go to a point where you just don't really give a shit anymore and you feel more comfortable with who you are. And do you find going back, there are, are moments of, you know, innocence or things that you find, whether it's on this record or in recent records, that you're like, okay, that's, you know, I, I'm kind of pleasantly surprised by that. Um... And it's funny, it doesn't have to be whole songs. Sorry, I was just going to say, it could, literally it could just be a lyrical passage or like a moment. You know, sometimes it's just something so quick and brief, but you're like, huh. I mean, there's, a there's a ton of things. There's a ton of things, but um, I guess when I said that about Come Away With Me, I just mean there's no darkness in that song to me, you know? There's no masked sadness. It's just pure love and that's what I that's what I love about how innocent it is that's what I mean <laughs> you know yeah um, nobody's been broken you know <laughs> that, that sort of pure intention of what could be basically um, and I find that it's hard to write from that standpoint as you get older but um, I know what you mean and, and yeah I find that on every song there's, I find that every song on this record was very um, spontaneous and heartfelt, very deeply personal, but in a in a way that came out very naturally and not not very labored over. So I, I definitely don't mean that the that I like labor over songs necessarily. I, I just mean the intention of the, the lyric. 
Well, now it's interesting for you when you think about those songwriters who really capture that well, you know, or, or when you think of those like the most optimistic songs. And it's funny because there's that old joke about, you know, not being able to write a song when you're happy or that you write songs, you know, better songs when you're sad. For you, I'm curious, are there one or two songs or, you know, just these things that you hear that bring a smile to your face every time? And, and again, like I mentioned John Lennon, and it's interesting because he's one of my favorite songwriters of all time. And I think he was so good at like taking these little moments and making them big. But a lot of times there did remain this sort of optimism in there. And it's funny because actually I always look at a song like Help, for example, right? And here is this song that is, you know, you hear it as a Beatles song and it feels so joyful and up. And then I remember seeing you two do it in concert and it was the most depressing fucking song I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and it really, it's just like, oh my God, this is a song is well, about Seuss. He's literally asking for help. I know. The lyrics belie the, the energy of the music. <laughs> and it's so funny because coming onto this record, it's like a song like Hurts to Be Alone. It's like, that was the one I mentioned having the 70s vibe. And it has this really chill, sort of cool 70s yeah. vibe. And then it's like, okay, Hurts to Be Alone, you know. So who are those artists for you or those songs that capture that idealism, that have that sort of, dreamer mentality that just bring you a smile every time you hear them? Well, I mean, Stevie Wonder comes to mind, Happier Than the Morning Sun. Um, of course, Sunshine of My Life. Um, I believe when I fall in love with you, it will be forever. I mean, those are joyful songs to me. And then, you know, he had plenty of variety, that's for sure. But um, I don't know. I guess that's something that comes to mind. I love Stevie. We're going to switch gears for one second because I got to ask you a fun question. So you worked on a lot of this record, of course, with Brian Blade, who is a longtime friend of yours, obviously. And I interviewed Brian for uh, when they did the Joni 75 uh, event at here at mm -hmm. where the hell was he? Why am I forgetting the name? I, it wasn't Disney I was Hall. There, yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, well, yeah. Uh, music Center. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Music Center. Right. But this was so fun. Right. I love Brian. He's awesome. And he, I was telling him the story years ago. I was lucky enough to be invited to one of the Prince parties. And at this party, the most memorable thing for me, by the way, just so you know, as an aside, Stevie and Prince played together in a living room for 150 people at four in the morning. And yet oh, maybe the most meaningful thing for me or memorable was watching Joni Mitchell play pool. So <laughs> Which was, yeah, exactly. And Brian had the same response when I mentioned that to him, but he started cracking up and he's like, I never got to see her play pool, but he's like, when Joni got in the zone playing pinball and that became my favorite image of all time, Joni Mitchell hunched over a pinball machine. So where I'm going with this, if someone was to ask Brian your secret talent or where you get in the zone, I'm curious, what would he say? I don't know. You might have to just ask Brian. But you don't, you don't have that like competitive game or that one thing. It's funny because people ask me what it was like watching Joni play pool. And I'm like, here's the thing. She wasn't very good. She was okay. But she ran that table all night because who the hell was going to beat Joni Mitchell? <laughs> That's funny. Um, I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of things they do. I make, I make pottery. I make these weird masks. And I get a kick out of them. And they, they're very creepy. They disturb people a little bit. But sometimes I don't know what's going to come out. And once I made this, like, very satanic one, and I think I was going through a moment. I was a little bit of a hot mess at the time. And so that's kind of how it came out. Um, 
But I make these weird masks with like long noses and long tongues, and they're intended to hang on the wall, and you can hang stuff on them, like your jewelry or whatever. That's why they have all these pointy things coming out of them. But I've never hung them on the wall, and I've never hung anything off of them, and so they're just kind of sitting on a table, staring up at you with these creepy, pointy parts. Okay, wait, now this is fascinating, tying it back into these crazy times. Are these masks that you can wear, or will we ever see a line of Nora Jones creepy masks to wear during this time? No, they're ceramic. I mean, they're painted. They're, they're heavy. They're for, to hang on the wall. Okay. Have you ever done an exhibition with them? No, I mean, it sounds ridiculous. If I was good at Instagram, I could post pictures and creep people out online, but I'm not. So it's just like my little hobby. <laughs> That's so funny. How did you get into that? Now I'm so curious because it, it does see, you know, and I, also I like the fact that you specify the fact they're creepy. Oh, they're definitely creepy. Um, I remember a friend of mine in pottery, she goes, what's with you in these masks? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, she just wasn't even shy about it. She was like, what's with this? Um, I think, honestly, I took pottery classes when I was a little kid in Texas and I learned how to make masks there. And then in high school, I took pottery again. And then when I moved to New York and got off, I think I got off some tour, like, in the mid-2000s, in the aughts or whatever, and I, I was finally off the road, and I, I didn't know what to do with myself. So I took a pottery class, and I got back into it. And so as an adult, I, I, I do it when I have the time to kind of do a class. It's just a nice outlet, you know. My mom calls it therapy, but um, it's really just a pottery class. Well, but it is so funny, you know, I mean, you look at, again, we talked about Joni and you look at her with painting and you look at Dylan was a painter and I mentioned Brandon Boyd who paints and, you know, so many artists have like multiple sort of skills. I, I mean, it's interesting. Talk about sort of the importance of having that other art form, even if it's just a therapeutic release. And, and also what's interesting is having gotten to talk to so many musicians who also paint now, it's interesting to find how often, you know, it's funny if you're, for example, a really great cook, there's a lot of creativity in that as well. And it's interesting because what I'm yeah. getting at is like these things oftentimes infuse each other. So it's interesting. Do you see when you do these other art forms, whether it's mass, whether it's whatever it is, how it sort of invigorates you or excites you for music, or maybe you find extra creepy stuff coming into your music that you weren't aware of? I definitely don't relate them. I don't think about that. I've never thought about how it affects the music, and I'm not sure how it does. I'm sure everything affects everything. I do believe that, but um, I don't really know how, but um, I don't know. I I love to cook, too. I, yeah. So, so I to just do stuff. <laughs> so what is the go-to cooking so thing? I will say, though, I'm not crafty. My, I have little kids, and anytime the crafts come out, or my mom sent me some modeling clay to do with them at home because we're all stuck at home, and so we did that. I hated every second. <laughs> I'm not happy with the kids. That's different. That's like a chore to me. <laughs> Uh, well, we're going to wrap up on the album in a second, but I do have to ask you. Now I'm curious because it's funny. Like I was actually marinating some chicken breast this morning while I was listening to your record. What is your go-to oh, cooking thing? I'm marinating thing? some steak right now. <laughs> nice. What do you, what, what's on there? What's on your marinade? It's a skirt steak, which is usually kind of tough. So we marinated it in um, cilantro, lime, and olive oil, and a little salt. Really, I'm just trying to copy what my favorite butcher in Brooklyn does. Paisano's butcher with their skirt steak. But um, yeah, it's going to be good. 
<laughs> nice. Is that like, what's your go-to cooking thing? Like if you were having a dinner oh. party, what would be the go-to dinner thing? Party. What's that? Well, it depends on how many people, you know, with a dinner party, it's a little stressful. So I try to go like a big stew or something. I'm pretty good at stews. And I'm good at pasta. I know how to make a good al dente pasta, you know. I don't ever overcook it. I don't know. I, I like being creative with food as well. I don't like following recipes too closely. I like sort of being able to add my own thing to it. I'm not a baker. With you on that 100% on both parts. All right. So eventually there will come a time, I don't know when it is, when you get to play these songs live. Well, I mentioned, you know, how music changes when people hear it live. Are there particular songs from this that you are very curious to hear how people respond to them or how they change? And it's funny because, you know, here in Ventura, in California, in Ventura, they just announced the first drive-in concert series and things seem to be oh, going really? in this. Yeah. Which I think is cool as shit because I grew up, you know, like I'd only gone to the drive-in a couple of times, but it's just very cool. Like, and you know, it's funny. I was talking about it with so randomly, not randomly. He's a friend. I love him. Tommy Lee. I interviewed yesterday and look, people have to be really creative in how they present stuff. Right now, for you, I guess, is it what songs are you particularly excited to bring to the stage and hear how they change for you? And also, you know, because you can do these shows that are so intimate, which lends itself very well to your music, are there particular, like, is there a format that you would be curious to try or things that you would do that would be really interesting to you? I mean, anything where I get to play with other humans right now would be interesting to me and fun. I'm sick of playing with myself. I, I really want to play with the band. I miss the drum beat. I miss the bass. That's all I need. More would be great, too, but just drums and bass would be fine at the bare minimum for now. Um, all these songs, I think, have lend themselves to the groove, I especially playing with Brian on drums so much. Also, Nate Smith plays drums on one album. I mean, those two guys, they just have such a great groove and and so a lot of these songs were sort of born into these sessions where I'm adjusting to to the groove you know so I miss that on most of these songs well now it's interesting for you because I think everyone's had this thought at some point for you what would be the like when you know eventually we can come back you know we'll be able to see things there will be that moment who for you would be the first artist that you would really want to see um, that's a good question. I, I don't really care, to be completely <laughs> honest. <laughs> I just, I'm going to cry the whole show, no matter what, probably. It's going to be great. Um, I just want to see a great band, you know? All right, so that's an interesting Thanks. question. Who's the artist Anything. that... <laughs> yeah, but it's funny that you say you're going to cry the whole time. Is there like a favorite artist to cry to? That one artist that can make you cry just every time you hear it, and in a good way. Well, I think the three artists whose shows I've cried at are multiple times are Willie Nelson, Lucinda Williams, and Neil Young. Pretty much, almost every time I see any of them play, I cry at one point. Now, sometimes I'm drinking, sometimes I'm not. Sometimes, you know, it's very pure cry, but um, sometimes, you know, I've had a couple. But um, I think their music holds so much history for me having listened to it for so long. It's also just beautiful music. It's also very emotional to me to see these performers live. Those are the three that make me cry. Nice. I In love a good way. Yeah. No, I, I know what you mean. You know, Tom Waits, my favorite songwriter of all time, man. I mean, you know, Ruby's arms oh, take me it with too. me. Yeah. Th those songs can make you cry in a good way. 
All right, two last quick questions. One, and I know this is an almost impossible question, but I do these Forbes roundup things all the time, which just start with me geeking out over stuff. And then it's so fun because I've gotten everybody from Dolly Parton to whoever, Dave Grohl, to answer them. The one that I'm geeking out on the moment because I've just walked down the street with my dog listening to 70s music all the time. Favorite 70s song of all time. Is it possible to pick one? Um... Yes, I just have to Google it really quick to make sure it's on it. <laughs> Hang on. Okay. I need to make sure before I embarrass myself. No, damn it, it's not. Okay, let's see. Well, now I'm curious, though, what was it? Suspicious Minds. Ooh. It's 70s sounding, but it's 1969. Yeah, that is a great one, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's so 70s, right? <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, is there any other 70s Elvis? God, I don't know. Is Jolene 60s? That's 60s. No, I think it's 70s. I don't know. Let me see. Um, Jolene is 70s. Yeah, it's 74. All right, Jolene. Give me Jolene for the big money. Nice. Why? What is it about that one in one sentence? The guitar, her voice, everything. Can't put it into words. It's uh, music, man. All right. Last question. Wrapping up on pick me up off the floor. You know, when people listen to this all the way through and it's funny because I feel like you still have, like I said, I've listened to this all the way through in sequential order, you know, twice. I feel like you have fans who can actually still listen to music, who have the attention span to listen to things in more than 30 second bites. When people listen to this as a whole record, what do you hope they take from it? What do you take from it when you hear it as a, an entire record? Well, I think once you put it out, you sort of let go of hopes and expectations of what other people will take from things. So I'm not going to say what I hope people take from it. But I will say that I, you know, this could have been a very different record with a very different sequence. I do think the sequence of this album takes you on a little bit of a journey. So I'm curious to see if people will pick up on that. It is funny on this last question, but I'm curious. When you go back and listen to it, you know, do you find it to be an overly sad record? It's funny what your husband said, because I mean, maybe there was just those few songs, but I don't feel like as an overall body of work, it's sad. I mean, there are obviously moments in there, but it's interesting when you go back and hear it, do you hear a sad record? No, I don't. I, and yeah, that was a specific session with some specific songs that aren't even on this, but um, no, I hear a human record. I mean, we all get sad. We all need to be picked up. We all sort of have our moments. We go up and down. That's what we do. I think that's what it is. Cool. Is there anything that you want to add that I did not get to ask you? No, I don't think so. Cool. Well, hopefully eventually in 2021 or whatever it is, we'll see you at the drive-in or someplace and get to see this oh live. Because <laughs> it, so. <laughs> it, it's such a beautiful record and I'm glad we, you know, I've wanted to do an extended interview for a while. So I'm very grateful that we finally got to do this and thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your time. Have a great day. You too. Bye. Hey, this is Steve Vaulton and you have been tuned into My Turning Point with special guest Nora Jones. Thanks so much. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did, man. This was a fun one. Come away with me on a bus Come away where they can't stand I 
summer saving season with huge appliance deals now at the Bray and Scarf Memorial Day Sale. Their factory trained appliance experts are ready to answer all your questions and offer the absolute lowest prices with their best price guarantee. Save on all in-stock Whirlpool and Maytag washer and dryer pairs. Plus, get a $100 installation rebate on select KitchenAid dishwashers. Shop local at the area's number one independent appliance retailer, Bray and Scarf, where it doesn't cost more to get more. When it comes to LASIK, Dr. Boutros and the Eye Center have led the way for the past 25 years. Today, this tradition continues by being one of the few practices in the country to offer you iDesign 2.0, using the same technology as the NASA James Webb Telescope. And in the hands of an elite surgeon like Dr. Boutros, more patients are seeing 2020 or better after LASIK. Right now, enjoy 20% off iLASIK with iDesign. Go to theeyecenter.com or call 888-844-2020. Some restrictions apply. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 